You are listening to the Advent teaching series from Jubilee Church. Advent is a time of looking back in celebration at what Christ has done and looking forward in anticipation for what he will do in the future. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. It's a good thing that uh, the uh, message on Sunday is not based on the week that you had. Because this week, I'm preaching on joy, if I can get this stand-up. And uh, you would like to think that leading up to a sermon on joy, you had a great week, everything was happy, and, but it was actually just the opposite. And uh, I know no one else likes to hear about someone else's bad week, because we all have them. In fact, I just heard uh, before the service that the Luby's dog ate their crayons, <laughs> ate a box of crayons, is that right? That is, boy, I don't even want to think about that. But anyway, so I know other people had bad weeks, but uh, Gail's and mine, not to be excluded. Now, Gail and I, we're a little bit, we can be a little bit anal about things. Uh, For example, we're celebrating Christmas ahead of time. So our youngest son and his wife and their two kids are coming in today. And then our oldest son and their four kids are coming in tomorrow. So the week before is obviously a week of preparation, getting ready. So we've got lists upon list, upon list, upon list of things that need to be done because we try and work together in doing that. So as we were heading down Wednesday night to uh, our community group, where we live in Wentzville, and so we're just about ready to cross the bridge, we get a phone call. And these are from some good friends of ours. They're actually better friends with our son and his wife, Shannon, down at the lake. They attend Jubilee Church at the lake. And they said, hey, Rick, we're supposed to fly out tonight out of St. Louis. They were going somewhere overseas, actually. Our flight got canceled. Is it okay if we spend the night with you? And they've got two little kids. So Gail is sitting next to me, and I'm on the phone saying, oh, sure, you can spend the night. It'll be fine. And I can see Gail going, no. And so we put in an appearance at our community group, about 30 minutes. We took off. We get home, and we're scrambling around to make sure the house is presentable and stuff. Well, their flight didn't leave the next day till 7 p.m., So, yeah, so it was the whole day with them, and it was that sort of thing, which was fine, and we had a great time with them. Their two little ones were were a delight, but I was planning on doing sermon work that day, so that got completely, you know, so Thursday now is just completely gone, and then Thursday morning, we get a call from Jake about Myrna uh, had taken a turn for the worse, and we're thinking, oh, that's, you know, what do we do now? How How do we help? And just didn't feel like we were able to help as much as we wanted to. Then also Thursday morning, I get an email from Larry Mowry. Larry's one of the uh, elders at the city location. His daughter, Jessica, is married to a guy named Dwight. I married him years ago. They go to the Kirkwood location. And in his email, Larry said, hey, Luke, who is Dwight and Jessica's oldest, has been diagnosed with viral meningitis. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what else is going to happen this week? And so we got on the, you know, told folks to start praying for him. The good news is Luke is home now. He's fine. So God really touched him. So we're really grateful for that. And so the whole week just got progressively worse. And then Friday night, I'm getting ready to go to bed. And I'm thinking, I don't think I feel really good. So I'm going to bed. I'm in chills. I mean, I've got, you know you know, pajama bottoms on, I wear my socks to bed, I'm about ready to put on a sweatshirt, and we got flannel sheets, we got a duvet, I mean, it must have been about 110 underneath the covers, but I felt like I was about 50 degrees 
I was freezing. And we had this whole day Saturday planned for nothing but grocery shopping, blah, blah. And I told Gail all week, I'm going to help. I'm going to help. We're going to do this together. We're going to do this together. And we didn't do it together because I was sick yesterday. And so, yeah, so the whole week just went downhill. And, uh, and like I said, I'm sure your week was probably the same. But in our minds, we have this understanding, which is actually incorrect, that joy cannot exist with pain. And it doesn't coexist with suffering. Now, as those who are followers of Jesus, we should know that that is not the case. And the best example we have of this is the death of Jesus himself. You take his death, he was unjustly convicted and crucified a heinous death. And in the middle of that, the Bible says that he endured that because of the joy set before him. So you have injustice and joy, suffering and joy. So even though we go through pain and suffering and sometimes just crappy weeks, if you will, you know, we need to understand that, look, somewhere in this mess, joy is not too far away. Now, I'm not saying that every circumstance, there's joy in every circumstance. I'm not sure I believe that. But I do believe that there is joy that's close by. Because the Bible says in his presence, there is fullness of joy. So it's somewhere to be found nearby. And so this morning, this psalm, Psalm 126, what we're going to find out is that there are basically three places where we can find joy. There's three places where we can find joy. So go back to that psalm, if you will. I think it was page 512, and we're going to look at this. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Page 512. 517, excuse me. There at the bottom of the page. Psalm 126, verse 1 through 3. When the Lord restored our... Now, let me just say, the first place we find joy is we look back to see what God's done for us. Okay? That's the first place we find joy. We look back to see what God has done for us. And we we see that here in in verses 1 through 3. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations. Now listen, this is what the nations said of Israel. This is what Israel said himself. This next statement is what the nations said of them. They said, the Lord has done great things for them. Isn't that amazing? Other people saying that about the people of God. That's cool. That is cool. That's something we all attain to, is to see our light shine in such a way that people recognize the goodness of God in and through us. It says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now, scholars disagree about when this particular psalm was written, um, but we do know this. Evidently, Israel had gone through some sort of time of captivity or something in a pretty negative way, whether it was at their own hands or the hand of another nation, and God restored them. He rescued them, and he restored their fortunes. Okay? So whatever the circumstances were, that's basically the gist of what happened here. But either way, they were rescued by God, and he came and did these things. Now, what they're doing is they're looking back. But don't miss this point. It says, the Lord has done great things for us. So they're looking back and saying, the Lord has done great things for us. And then they end up saying, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So because they looked back and saw what God had done for them, 
They were glad in the current situation. So we can find joy by looking back and recognizing what God's done for us. Now, as children of God, if you're saved, we sang this song uh, here just a minute ago about how God saved us. Now, for, for all, for, if you've grown up in the church or you've been in church for a while, you suffer from the same thing that I do. We've got this kind of Christianese, this jargon that we use. Saved is one of those words that we, and it loses its flavor. It loses its power, if you will, over a period of time. So we can sing these songs. Oh yeah, I'm saved. God saved me. He's delivered me. And we just, we forget what it's like. There's kind of a, uh, well, it's not kind of, there's a misunderstanding about what, how the salvation experience. Some people think salvation is like, I've used this illustration before, so if you remember it, forgive me. Um, I only have so many illustrations. I just have to keep <laughs> using them again, so it is what it is. But let's say you're in the ocean and you're swimming. Jesus is a lifeguard and he's on the beach. You know, they, what do they call those chairs that they sit in? Lifeguard chairs, thank you very much. <laughs> You guys are a very intelligent group. I, that was good. Okay. So Jesus is in his lifeguard chair, and you're out swimming in the ocean, and you're drowning. You're getting ready to go, and everybody says, oh, he's drowning, he's drowning, help him out. So here's people's understanding of salvation. So Jesus swims out, throws a life ring, and right as you're going down, you grab the life ring, and he pulls you ashore, and you are saved. Now let me just say that's not a biblical example metaphor of salvation a more accurate description of salvation is this jesus is in his chair and so you're out swimming in the ocean and you're drowning everybody's hey he's drowning he's drowning and jesus he sits there and you go down and everybody's trying to rescue you and now you can't be found so now they're dragging the bottom of the ocean you nowhere to be found day two comes along they still can't find your body day three comes along jesus is still up in his chair and he says, you know what? Here, I'm going to do something about this. And he wades out in the ocean, dives down right to where you are, picks you up off the bottom of the ocean, brings your body to the shore, and breathes life into you. That is salvation. That's what it means to be saved. Look in Ephesians 2, 4, 9. We'll put this up here on the screen. But God being rich in mercy. Now, listen, don't miss these things. The reason we're saved is because of that. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. You and I were dead. Dead people don't make decisions. Jesus saves them. He breathes life back into him. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show, now listen, here's one of the reasons he did it, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is a demonstration of the grace of God. That's what it exemplifies. It doesn't exemplify, oh, you know, I, I, I came to this conclusion, I saw things made sense, and, and, and I gave my life. No, granted, we do make these decisions. But it's because of the grace of God that comes to us. That's what, that's what allows us to do this in the beginning. Otherwise, if we don't get that, we'll have an us and them mentality. 
well, I'm saved because I recognize that Jesus is the way. Other people don't, but I did. And we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't act like that. But behind that is that kind of mentality. And so he goes on to say, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And there's a reason we call it salvation. is because we've been saved. We've been saved. We were headed for death. Myrna Courier has no idea right now what death even is. She's through it. Like Pilgrim's Progress, she crossed that sea, that river. She's on the other side. Hallelujah. Look at scripture here. John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, please notice that it's not one or the other. He says, Jesus is very clear. He says, in the world you have tribulation, but in me you have peace. Together. They're together. You can have peace, you can have joy, and you can also have the tribulation. And listen, guys, we will have that kind of tribulation. It will go on. If someone, when they shared the gospel with you, said to you or made a promise, said, look, receive Jesus as your Savior, and he'll take care of all your problems. You won't have any problems anymore. If that was ever told you, I want to apologize to you because that person was a bozo. Because that's simply not true. In fact, Jesus does his best work through darkness. He does his best work through darkness. I remember when I was in fifth grade. I got to think back a long time, folks, to remember when I was in fifth grade. My dad was a teacher. We were living in Gothenburg, Nebraska at the time. And that morning he got up early and says, hey, I'm taking you kids out to breakfast this morning. I'm thinking, this is weird because, number one, he's a teacher. Number two, it's a school day. I'm thinking, something's wrong. So we went out to breakfast and he said, your mom and I are going to split. We're going to get a divorce. And at the time there was four of us kids. And I just remember thinking, this is a bad dream. I mean, I can't believe this is happening. I knew mom and dad had problems, but I never knew it was to this extent. So mom, soon thereafter, the four of us kids with mom, we moved down all the way to Texas, which is where her mom and stepdad lived and lived in a little apartment there. And I remember we put us in a new class. The school year was going on, so pull us out of school. And I remember, is that the first or second day of class? I just remember sitting in class, closing my eyes, thinking, this is a dream, and you open your eyes, and you won't be here. You know, I opened my eyes, and I was still there. It was horrible. But in that time, somewhere along the line, I remember what happened God broke through, and I remember giving my life to Jesus during that time. It was one of the darkest times in my life, and yet God broke through. God loves to work in the darkness, folks. He really does. I hear Christians complain all the time about the moral condition of our 
nation of the world. Now, I agree, it's, it's not good. I'm not blessed by that. But I will say this, it doesn't bother me. Because here's what I know. The darker it gets, the brighter my little dim light shines. I'm not a very bright light. I've been called dim most of my life. (laughs) But with all these lights on, if we turned our cell phone light on, you know, you'd see it, but it's not going to have much impact. But you turn all these lights off, and these little candles here, they shine really bright, and you can recognize them. So just remember, the darker culture gets, the darker society gets, the more Jesus shines through us. Don't lament how bad things are getting. Rejoice that God's going to use you. I think I've shared with you before, I'm in the real estate business, and um, I haven't been in this business all that long. I'm not, I'm a realtor, but most of my business, what's called wholesale business, which is a whole different character. And uh, real estate wholesalers are notoriously unscrupulous. And earlier this year, one of the gals I work with, or I'd say work with, uh, she owns a title company. She's not a believer. She told me, she said, Rick, you are the most reputable, honest person in real estate I've ever met. Now, listen, I'm not, like I said, I'm a very dim light, okay? But that whole business is so dark that you don't have to get things right too much to be seen. So, listen, when things get dark, God's got great things for you. Your impact is magnified. When things get dark as to what God's doing. So look back on what God's done for you. I'd encourage you this week, it's going to be one of the next steps, is to take 15 minutes just to look back over your life at what God's done for you. Look at the people that he's put in your life. I thank God that there was uh, a girl named, um, I can't remember her first name, Margina Crawford, who invited Gail at the time we were in college. I didn't even know her. Uh, Gail was in a Bible say, invited her to go on this trip. I ended up being on this trip, and we met on this trip. If Margina would have never invited Gail, Gail wouldn't have been on that bus. We'd have never met. And you say, oh, that's just coincidence. No, I thank God for Margina Crawford that she did that. God has put people in your life throughout your history who just is like a chance thing. But let me tell you, God is sovereign. He ordains these things. And you're here where you are, and the goodness of God has come to you over and over again. Take some time for crying out loud to think through what God has done for you and the people he's using in your life. I'm telling you, the result will be joy. You'll be so grateful, so grateful. Second place we find joy is looking ahead to what God has planned for us. Go back to Psalm 126, and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. He says, those who sow in tears shall reap with with shouts of joy. It's a promise. You sow in tears, you will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. God's promises about the future are a great source of joy for every believer. And we do well to hold on to these promises. Now, some of these promises we, we've known all our lives. We've got them memorized. They're up on our refrigerator and stuff. But I'm telling you, when the rubber meets the road, that's when you need them. 
when things are good and stuff like that, Romans 8, 28, you know, it's like God works all things together for good to those who love him. It's like, yeah, I know that. And when things are good, it's like, you know, that's nice. But I'm telling you, when you have, when disaster comes, Romans 8, 28 is a pillar of strength because of the promise of God. We're going to look at some of these promises. We're going to put some up here. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His, meaning God, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is incredible. You and I don't lack anything in terms of godliness. God has given it to us. We just need it to be developed and matured. It's there. He's given us his very own Holy Spirit. Think about this, folks. God lives in you. When we get that, all our excuses just kind of fall by the wayside. The most important relationship we have is with God who lives in us. And we develop that. We draw on his resources. Now, look, people will say things like this. Well, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I don't believe that. He gives us all more than we can handle. I get things that's more than I can handle all the time. That's why he wants us to trust him. I heard somebody say, well, if God gives me all that I can handle and I'm going through hard times, I wish I couldn't handle it. Then I wouldn't get hard times. <laughs> that makes sense. You just need to be weak and immature. Then you never have hard times. He'll only give you what you can handle. That's the biggest joke. He'll always give you more than you can handle. That's why he wants us to trust him. Because we're weak. And we need to realize that. So why are we surprised? Ephesians 1.3, here's another promise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We ask God, make me like Jesus, make me like Jesus, make me like Jesus. And God's saying, I already have. I've given you everything in the heavenly places. Everything you need, I've given it to you. We need to tap in to who God is and understand him. John 14, 20. This is one of my favorites. It's actually a statement, but I'm going to show you how it's a promise as well. It says, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, let's go backwards with this, okay? So at the end it says, I am in you. So this is talking about, Jesus is talking here. I've got some... So here's Jesus, right? And I look just like him. Here's us. So he says, I am in you. So we're going to put Jesus in us. There he goes. Then what's the next thing it says? It says, and you in me. Okay, I'm in you and you in me. So here we go. Here's us. We're in Jesus. So he's in us and we're in him. Right? So we'll get this in here. Operator air here. Stay with me. And then he says, I am in the Father. So we're going to put him in here. So, there we go. Now, where are you? Listen, guys. Nothing can get to you and me without first going through Jesus. Because he's in us and we're in him. So, the people you have in your life that drive you nuts, who have offended you, that you have a hard time accepting and relating to, 
They went through Jesus to get to you. That boss that you just can't stand, they went through Jesus to get to you. That relative that you hope never shows up at your door, they went through Jesus to get to you. That's a magnificent promise. And knowing that God is sovereign brings us such joy. We don't understand that the sovereignty of God is a huge, the fact that God's in control is a huge mystery. And I don't fathom to know it all. But I do know this. When things come my way that I don't understand, I know that he does. And I trust him. That's the best option. You just trust him. So these promises are worthy of our acceptance. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there, be, shall, shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, the reason there are no tears, there's no death, there's no any of this in heaven, is because God is there. That's why heaven's so great. It's not just because one day we'll die and we'll get to see, you know, our loved ones, or we'll get to, you know, no more pain, or... You know, no more this or no more that. That's great. But that's not the best. That, that, that stuff only exists because of the presence of God. His presence drove all that stuff away. Gail and I were talking about this the other day. I said, do you realize in heaven we're probably not going to sleep? And she goes, oh, I kind of like to sleep. <laughs> It'll be light the whole time. His presence lights up everything. But there'll be no need we sleep now because we have a need to sleep. Some of you sleep because you just like it. I get that, but there's a need to sleep. There won't be any need for that in heaven because of his presence. Isn't that amazing? It's the presence of God that makes heaven what it is. The thing I look forward to most in heaven is seeing the Savior face to face and falling on my knees before him saying, thank you for everything you have done for me. I don't even know. 10,000 times a day, he saves my life. He does things. He orchestrates my circumstances. And I'm not even aware of it. But I look forward to falling at his knees one day and saying, thank you. Thank you. These are wonderful promises, folks. And when we look ahead to what God's done for us, it ought to fill us with joy. It should fill us with joy. The last place we find joy is in sharing our joy with others. Sharing our joy with others. C.S. Lewis says that our joy is never complete till we share it with others. It's never complete till you share it with others. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you, let's see a raise of hands, went to see the Star Wars movie this week? Oh my goodness, look at you guys. Okay, now keep your hands up. See, none of the older crowd over here, is it Star Wars? I didn't know there was a Star Wars movie coming. Okay, now, yeah. <clears throat> so, those of you with your hands up, how many of you with your hands up went and saw the movie? 
never said anything about the movie to anybody after you saw it, like a couple days later. Amen? There's a few of you did. Okay, just a few. Most of you immediately got on Facebook or Messenger or Twitter and said, oh, it's a great movie, or I didn't like it, but you told somebody, right? Am I right? Yeah. Why? Because it completed your joy. You enjoyed it so much you had to tell somebody. You just had to tell somebody. You couldn't keep it in. And one of the reasons we will find joy, one of the places we'll find joy, is in sharing the good news with others. Now, evangelism, one of the reasons, let's just be honest, we struggle with evangelism, telling others about Jesus, telling them about the good news. It's not because we're not bold. It's because Jesus is not our ultimate joy. If he's your ultimate joy, you don't really care what people think. We praise what we prize. That's just a fact of life. And so our problem when it comes to sharing the gospel is that we don't prize Jesus as much as we think we do. Now, I'm not trying to put guilt on anybody. I'm in the same situation. I had a breakfast appointment this week with another wholesaler, and he said, hey, let's get together for coffee. And I'm thinking for sure he's got something he wants to say. I mean, there's a reason this guy never gets together with me. And so we show up at breakfast, and uh, he never, we're just chit-chatting. And I'm thinking, are you going to tell me what you want to tell me here or what? And he didn't, there was nothing on his agenda. And I'm thinking, and after I thought, my first thought was that was a waste of time. You know, I spent six bucks on a sausage thing that I'd never had before. I thought I could have saved myself about 900 calories, you know. But <laughs> so, but then I thought I had a perfect opportunity to just ask him questions about his life. I mean, I've known this guy for a few years, you know, about his faith, things like that. I didn't do so well. But I'm not going to beat myself up. Just trust God for more opportunities. But the thing is, when we find our ultimate joy in God, we'll tell others and we don't care. Some of you who went to that movie, the Star Wars movie, if you sat down with me and I said, hey, tell me about the movie. And you just start telling me about the movie. You're so excited about it. And halfway through, I said, look, I'm not really into Star Wars. I don't really get it. That wouldn't matter to you. You'd keep telling me. <laughs> in fact, you'd probably try and convince me why it was such a good movie. I said, look, I'm not into it. You know, you just keep on going. You don't care. Why? Because of the joy it brought you. I'm going to read something from um, Eugene Peterson. He was a pastor. He's an author now. He's retired. Great man of God. If you're familiar with the message translation, he actually put that together. And it's not going to be up on the screen, so you have to listen closely. He says this, joy is a product of abundance. That's really important to get. Joy is a product of abundance. It is the overflow of vitality. It is exuberance. Inadequate sinners, as we are, none of us can manage that for very long. We try to get it through entertainment we pay, now, this is not a rant against entertainment. We watch movies. We are on Netflix. This is not a rant against this. It's not what I'm saying, so don't misunderstand me here, okay? We pay someone to make jokes, tell stories, perform dramatic actions, sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in our land is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. 
Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court gesture to divert it after an indulgent meal. I hate it when they beat around the bush, don't you? It's kind of like, tell us how you really feel, Eugene. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary, a few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. But there is something we can do. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God. And not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. We can decide to live in the environment of a living God and not our own dying selves. We can decide to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own egos which greedily grab. One of the certain consequences of such a life is joy, the kind expressed in Psalm 126. So when God is our joy and we go to him because he's the abundance, we go to him for that joy. So much so that we want to share that with others. Here's what happens. We end up shedding tears for those that we long to hear the good news.